economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today. I'm Nate Johnson, the producer and graduate assistant for the Gortney Institute. Today on our show, we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gortney Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics. We also have Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics, and Peter Jacobson, the Gortney Professor of Economic Education and Research. And we also have our young scholar, Jacob Caudill. Yeah, special day today. We got our undergrad scholar in here who I have to compliment you. You've been like what you've been doing in the classroom here. He's in some of my upper division classes now. He's been, I feel like things are starting to come together for you a little bit more. So good job. So yeah, we wanted to talk about the gig economy. Our last podcast, we brought it up with labor market and there's been some changes with how people can work and some changes that got shot down. So Peter, why don't you talk about the California deal? Yeah, so California was recently trying to, or there's some in the state trying to put forward Proposition 22. And what Proposition 22 was, was an attempt to overturn California's Assembly Bill 5. We won't go into all the details of that, but basically what Assembly 5 was gonna require Uber and Lyft to do. So these are app-based ride systems essentially. If this Proposition 22 didn't pass, then Uber and Lyft would have to essentially pay all their drivers a minimum wage and actually 120% of the minimum wage to account for the the cost of driving the car around as well. And some benefits too, right? And the the biggest part is they had to pay healthcare benefits. And so if workers worked over 25 hours a month, then the company Uber and Lyft would have to provide healthcare subsidies equal to 82% of the average California cost of healthcare. And for 15 hours, that was still, I believe, about 41%. And so this was would be a major cost to provide healthcare insurance to Uber and Lyft drivers. Let's come back to that kind of detail in a bit. But let's first explain the coolness of Uber and Lyft. And Justin, I mean, you've, you've rode, rode that way a couple of times. Nate, I don't know. Anybody else want to chime in? But yeah. I'm just blown away each time I think about it. So let's give the <laughs> listeners a little bit. I know my father is probably listening right now, and I just had to explain how Uber works for him last week. So I think everybody needs to, to know that pretty well. When I lived in San Francisco, there was no Uber or Lyft, <laughs> so I was still using taxis. But going back there and you know going to Seattle, you install Uber or Lyft on your phone, and then you can just you know press a button that says, I need a ride. And then you say where you want to be taken to. And actually, a bunch of different drivers will kind of jockey to try to select your fare and then they come pick you up and having spent a lot of time in San Francisco taxis before Uber I can (laughs) say that being in an Uber vehicle is usually you know heads and shoulders above the experience of San Francisco taxi just in terms of you know the lack of urine or vomit (laughs) and they will often have kind of you know accoutrement like gum or you know they'll ask you what music you want to listen to so it's amazing how service-centered this, you know, Uber and Lyft are. And yeah. one of the things that helps ensure that is after you take each ride, you actually rate the driver. And so the dri- you, so you can see the rating from your driver and, you know, you can, you can actually select which driver you want sometimes based on that. 
Now that goes both ways because when you get out of the car too, your driver rates you. And <laughs> yeah. so if you are the kind of person who, you Just know, nasty is, or... was peeing in the cab or vomiting <laughs> in the cab, guess what? It's going to be hard for somebody who's owns their car is making their living shuttling people around. They can actually avoid Choose you if you want to avoid you. Yeah. Too. So, um, yeah. And so from an economist standpoint, it's really cool that it's a supply and demand deal. So depending on how many drivers are on the clock, so to speak, at any given time. So they're basically sitting idle, ready to give somebody a ride. And then the you say where you want, where you're at now, where you want to go. They'll probably start with some sort of baseline that covers, you know, you'd like to think a minimum of gas and some amount. But from there, the Uber driver, so that algorithm is going to set what would be kind of a fair rate given the conditions, the market conditions. And then a number of Uber drivers just have to press a button like, yeah, I'm willing to do that. Or no, I'm not willing to do that. That's the other part in terms of labor market freedom. These drivers have all the freedom to just, I don't feel like giving somebody a ride right now. They're not punched in. They're not on the clock. They are, they are their person. And so I think that's an important aspect of it. Yeah, that's a very important point with Uber and Lyft is that these are not employees of Uber and Lyft. It's not like Uber goes out and hires 30 drivers and they have a, a weekly schedule. These are independent contractors. In other words, you sign up to be a driver with Uber or Lyft and you have some sort of contract that you agree you know, not to do certain things that would besmirch the company or something like that. But then you get to decide on your own what your hours are and if you're willing to accept the payment based on that supply and demand Russ was talking about. So then it gets even better. So they, they develop fairly early on a carpooling option. So how this works is you, first of all, you as the consumer can choose to just ride solo. Maybe you don't want to talk to anybody or whatever. That, that's fine. Your rate's going to be a little bit higher, but there'll be a carpool option. So the, again, the computer is searching all the people looking for rides right now and it automatically instantly maps out a route from where you want to go to the Hilton that's 30 miles away but there's four other people that could potentially take a ride along with you and have an intermediate stop so if you're willing to carpool your rate could be cut in half it might have been a 20 dollar ride all by yourself but you're like oh i don't really care uh, yeah I'll, I'll do it for 12 dollars and basically ride share with somebody. And so it's just amazing in terms of economic efficiency on moving people from point A to point B. And then, like you say, with all the ratings of the consumer versus the plier, it's just one of the best free market innovations that I think have been developed in the last 10 years. So can I ask a question maybe before yeah. break? Why would anybody want to pass Assembly Bill 5? Like what kind of special interests would yeah. want to restrict Uber and Lyft from operating this way. I can't think of any industry that's been particularly mm. damaged by Uber or Lyft. Yeah, I'm having this vision of yellow, yeah. but yeah, so <laughs> there's been continuous fights over time. Uh, the taxi unions and uh, taxi drivers in general, taxi companies, which are often government sanctioned since we were talking on the last podcast about a little cronyism of big business and big government playing kissy face with each other. So New York is pretty famous for their medallions I and mean, these medallions were in limited supply and you had to own one to to have a taxi in manhattan at least i don't know if it was all over outside of manhattan as well but so there's this government control monopoly issue yeah and, and you, this isn't limited to the us and this special interest becomes very clear when you look at france a few years ago taxi drivers were having anti-uber protests because they were losing work because you know the, the supply of taxi drivers, like Russ was just saying with medallions is restricted, which means they can charge a higher price and get monopoly profits. While Uber coming into this is forcing the prices back down, lowering the profits to be a tax in the taxi industry. 
And so taxi drivers in France were taking bricks and standing on bridges and throwing them at cars that had Uber stickers on them, trying to destroy the cars. This was like their, their form of, quote, protests, yeah. uh, peaceful protests, of course. Yeah. South a- when Most I was in South Africa, a guy escorted me. I was on this tour bus and it ended up at the end of the day. And I, I thought it was, I was in like a financial district with a 50-story building, went and looked over. Well, the guy stayed with me the whole time, like, oh, you want to go look at that? And, and I said, well, I'm going to just take an Uber back. And he's like, don't go on that side of the building. So the taxi stand was on that side and the tax, there's been within the last month or two violence between the taxis and Ubers. So he walked me literally a city block and a half to a kind of Uber safe zone that was away from the taxi stand. So those tensions are still out there in the United States and certainly around the world. Yeah, this is one of Gordon Tullock's, he's an economist from George Mason University who helped develop public choice economics. This was one of his biggest economic worries was the transitional gains trap is what he called it in the taxi industry. And what that means is when you get a taxi cab permit and those are available, you have for a short limited time a higher profit than you would otherwise. You get super normal profits, a monopoly profit. Mm -hmm. But what happens is because you're getting profits, the value of that taxi cab medallion is going up. And because the value of it's going up, the opportunity cost of being in business is going up as well, because you could sell that taxi cab medallion and make money off of it. Yeah. And so actually the profits disappear. So you, when the medallions are re- released, you have a temporary profit and then the profits disappear, but you still have the higher monopoly uh, price. That's the yeah. transitional gains trap. And Gordon Tullock said, there's no way out of this. There's no way that we can compensate taxi cab drivers enough to, to quit this system, mm-hmm. but everyone is worse off from it. The taxi cab driver is no better off at least. Consumers are worse, worse off because they have, pay higher prices and potential competitors are worse off because they can't join anymore. But Uber is great because it's provided a way out of this transitional gains trap by, you know, innovating around the entire system, essentially, by destroying the industry. Right. Uh, but, but, destruction. but this is great because it gets rid of that problem. All right. Well, bring us back to the Prop 5 then. So there, the who I think where Justin was going was, you know, who are these people that are trying to save the drivers? They need saving, apparently, that, that there's an oppressive employer, Uber, that's not rightly giving them their due. So it's Assembly Bill 5, right? And Prop yes. 22, which oh. creates the exemption. Yes, that's right. Assembly Bill 5. Surely some of the people who were angry were, were taxi drivers, right? Yeah, and, uh, for sure. Which is what we've been just saying. But a lot of, you had a remarkable amount of politicians who were behind Assembly Bill 5 in California. And interestingly, there were, there was a number of people employed by Uber and Lyft who also supported Assembly Bill 5. You could find them writing, you know, I, I drive for Uber and, you know, I want yeah. Assembly Bill 5 to pass. And you would find articles like that in, in HuffPost and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And why do you think they would be doing that? I, my intuition is that it is akin to somebody who is currently working for the minimum wage, arguing that the minimum wage ought to be raised, right? Now, one reason you might do that is because you think, well, obviously, if I'm working for the minimum wage and the minimum, and the minimum wage goes up, that's more money for me, right? Mm-hmm. But what you might not see is if you are working for the minimum wage and the minimum wage gets raised, you might no longer be employed. And so I think that is one of the things that is an unforeseen consequence that I don't think a lot of the people who drive for Uber realize. Yeah. And Peter, do you want to say what Uber was threatening to do in the lieu of? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think what turned a lot of this around and why eventually Prop 22 allows the exemption is Uber said that basically that 
well, if you make us pay our employees a minimum wage, which means we can't use the supply and demand model Russ was talking about, at least there's some lower bounds, which would be a problem for Uber. And we have to pay them health insurance, which would be a crazy expense on top of it. Uber and Lyft said to California, we're, we're going to leave the state because we can't afford to operate the way that you want us to operate, which makes sense because, you know, taxi cab companies, for example, provide these benefits like health insurance because they're a normal employer, but they charge outrageously higher prices to do that. And so Uber and Lyft's model does not work when you have employees who have very regulated requirements for what you have to pay them and providing them, you know, discrimination training and all these other overhead things that, you know, Uber and Lyft drivers aren't getting right now. Yeah. Um, so that adds the expense. Yeah, it's kind of careful what you wish for because you might just not have a job, which is like good analogy back to minimum wage. Well, let's uh, let's looks like a good time for a break, and I want to come back with the big picture on, you know, does the gig economy in a variety of industries start to change? You know, where do, where does it go from here? What does ten years from now look like if the gig economy continues to expand? So we'll be back in just a bit. Please visit our website at 123povertysucks.org. There you will find our events, blog, and our swag shop. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 123povertysucks or on Facebook at Gortney Institute for updates on our activities and research. The Gortney Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for students interested in freedom and justice and its impact on human flourishing, faith, and economics in action. If you or someone you know is looking for a college like that, contact Peter, Justin, or Russ today. All right, welcome back. So we're going to talk about a little more Uber issues. And Nate, what was your experience kind of interesting there on on voluntary freedom, it sounded like? Yeah, I've been to California a bunch of times and I hang out with friends and I stay at their houses and stuff with a bunch of family friends from California. And they don't usually want to drive you to the airport because of traffic. So usually I get an Uber. But every time I go to try to get to the airport, I call an Uber and they just keep declining me because they don't want to sit in the rush hour traffic and miss all the chances of getting other people and, and making money on other riders. And so the only option for me to get to the airport was to pool my ride. And so that on the way to the airport, you just other people get packed in the car and they drop them off and they drop them off on working towards the airport so they can still make the amount of money that they've missed sitting in L.A. traffic. Yeah. And it, it just, the efficiency is great that way that they know those drivers have information that out of state or Nate doesn't, right? Yeah. And so Nate might've tried to come up with a better solution for himself had he known that, but he didn't need to. He just said he got rejected on <laughs> Uber and he's like, well, what do I do? And then, oh, what's this carpool? And so solutions emerge spontaneously just from people's interactions. All right, what do you got, Peter? Yeah, so this was a, a specific exemption from app-based ride share programs, but you know the, the gig economy is not limited to this small sector. In fact, journalism is, or was at least in California, a big portion of the gig economy before this bill was passed. And so I've just got here a, a little tweet with may, maybe some irony, which is the, the tweet is two images. One is Vox's website with a story and the story headline is- And Vox is what? what kind uh, of a, new, a news media organization. Okay. So they, they publish stories. They've got, you know, journalists, used okay. to be independent journalists. So the headline is gig workers win in California is a victory for workers everywhere. That's the headline. That's described by the, the tweet as the shot. But the chaser is CNBC's headline, which is just looks like three months later, Vox Media to cut hundreds of freelance jobs ahead of changes in California gig economy laws. <laughs> and so even, even you know, uh, a left-leaning, we'll say, to, to be generous, a media organization with, with an agenda like Vox 
after this law is passed, ends up cutting the jobs of their workers. They, they cut out all the freelance workers. And so if you went on Twitter, you know, the, the day that Vox announced these cuts, you saw a lot of journalists unhappy with this change who had previously been for the law. And I think this gets to what Justin was saying about earlier, you know, the, the Uber drivers who support this law. Yeah. Yes, I think there was a lot of people who supported Assembly Bill 5 who also supported Prop 22 to get <laughs> right. Assembly Bill 5, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, I guess maybe it's a, a decent reflection of our process, right? So that, that gets put forward as a bill. And then we're like, oh, yeah, that sounds like a great idea that, you know, we can have insurance, health insurance and blah, blah, blah. That all sounded good. But then at, over time, by the time it finally got to the vote, people learn about it, think, oh, this is kind of dumb. We're going to have some people losing. So maybe justice prevailed or our system is good somehow or is our know. system still bad? Is there some kind of discipline that studies the way these things <laughs> impact each other that made the prediction that maybe this kind of thing might happen? Yeah, it might. Yeah, yeah it's, it's almost like increasing, requiring by law, it's increasing the benefits to employees is going to lead to less employees being hired. <laughs> it's almost as if. Uh, but this really gets to, and, and Justin's point earlier, I think, gets to this idea of the bootleggers and the Baptists. All right, tell us about that. And so... Love the name. The, the bootleggers and the Baptists is the story of Prohibition. That when Prohibition went forward, there were two groups that supported Prohibition. One was the Baptists. The, and, you know, the metaphor here is Baptists are the people who support the law for some sort of, you know, reason that they believe to be ideologically just. And so Baptists wanted to get rid of alcohol because alcohol is immoral, it destroys families. Probably a lot of good reasons, you know, may, maybe that doesn't support what they did, but, you know, for good reasons. Bootleggers are people who benefit from the law, that these are people who smuggle alcohol illegally or have speakeasies or things like that. You know, this could be, for example, like a drug cartel supporting the war on drugs because you have a more profitable market when it's illegal for your competition to enter. So bootleggers also supported prohibition. And so the Uber gig economy, I mean, we, we have the same thing going on here is that there were a lot of people who were Baptists in this. They, they wanted people to have higher wages and a higher standard of living and healthcare. This all sounds very nice if you don't think about it very hard. We also had some people like taxi cab drivers who supported this because it eliminates com uh, the competition. And so the nice thing about our system, I think Russ is right, for better, for worse sometimes, you know, it turned around. That is the, the Baptists realized the error of their ways and they decided this actually didn't help people. Prop 22 was gonna help save the jobs, save Uber, keep it in California. And so now the Baptists have kind of reconverted to the other side, seeing the error of their ways. Strange bedfellows have realized just how strange their bedfellow was. So I can hear some people arguing that this gig idea, gig economy of, of basically people on their own turning a buck, not under a formal employment arrangement that has different types of protections by law would be a bad place for the economy to move towards. And so, you know, what other industries or areas like would, would they start to say, oh, I can save money by just hi hiring, you know, uh, somebody off the street for this. So I was thinking if you had gig checkout people, so I'm a checkout person and I have maybe some sort of credential that shows I know how to run a cash register and I, I've got good reviews for this or that. And so Target and Walmart and, and the grocery stores are looking for workers that day. And so each day they basically just post, I have 10 hours of work, you know, who wants to take it? And so then the gig workers put in a bid system and just like the Uber driver selecting to take Nate to the airport, they're going to select Target that day to go to work for. And that way Target doesn't have to pay them uh, employment benefits. 
What do you think? Is that where we're heading with this? Or? That, that sounds great. I hope we do move that direction. <laughs> uh, contrary to maybe some of our listeners and the mainstream of politics, listen, one of the, the best arguments that I, I ever heard that turns me more into, so I'm personally very conservative, but turned me into someone who supports conservative social policies into a person who's more maybe more like a libertarian on social policy was Ron Paul's arguments against the war on drugs. And what, what Ron Paul, congressman from Texas, ran for president a few times, what he said, the, the metaphor that worked out really well was, you know, I don't go to bed every night saying my prayers and then thanking government for keeping me off heroin. Like if heroin, if heroin were legal tomorrow, I'm not going to go shoot up and like, you know, thank goodness the government prevents me from doing it. No, and I, I feel the same way about the gig economy. Uber drivers too. You know, when someone selects a ride that's going to pay them, we'll say $7 and, you know, it's an hour worth of their time, that probably doesn't happen. But even if it did, it's not like the person selecting that ride is like being forced to do so. And if they don't do it, they're going to be fired by Uber. No, they decide if they want to do that. Mm -hmm. And if California wants to save that person by saying you can't hit accept on that ride, they have to offer you at least 15. And then the person, you know, says, I don't want to pay $15 for a ride. I'm just going to walk. Well, now that that person who originally, you know, wanted to accept the job is screwed. And so I, I think that this is great. I think that moving to a gig economy for checkouts, gig economy, everything. I'm all in favor of individual labor contracts, moment by moment. Moment to moment. That doesn't sound very stable to me. And what if they get sick? I mean, I think there are certain industries where this is going to be more or less feasible. But I think as technology advances, you know, why is Uber and Lyft a thing now? Well, it's because apps came out and allowed this to happen. I would love doctors to be able to, you know, drive into different hospitals and help people based on what they want or, or nurses. And like actually that. there is kind of gig doctors and nurses too, nurse practitioners. They'll, they can go work kind of a la carte, basically setting their own schedule and going. So that is one industry that that's, there's a little bit of that going on anyway in there. But, you know, would we get to a point where that's going to cause a greater division between the rich and the poor though? So uh, to me, I'm hearing the, the less well-off person, the poor person, is kind of forced to be in the gig economy because that all the good jobs are taken. And so they, they have to try to build up and then they really don't have enough money for health insurance. And they're, so they're kind of caught in this trap of the, of the gig economy. Do you see any issues there? Well, let me just jump in. I think part of the problem here is that in America, health insurance is so tied to your employer. That's what's, yeah. that's what's that's part of what driving a lot of these objections, yeah. right? Yes. Is that, uh, you know, a lot will happen to these people's health insurance and yeah. uh, it doesn't have to be that way. And what's yeah. a better future then for us, Justin? Well, I mean, universal health care. No, I would like a free health care market. I mean, if, if you go back to our economic freedom discussion, can look at even some countries that are really high on that list, like Singapore, which is number two, and we can look at how they do healthcare. It's much more market friendly, and it, your healthcare isn't tied to your employment. Yeah, um, and you know the price is going into it. Yeah, and, and probably gig doctors for that and matter, and whatever. their health outcomes are much higher, and their health expenses are mu are lower than ours are. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that tying to employment too, the other issue over time, which is kind of related to this is entrepreneurship. So I think there's a decent amount of workers that don't want to leave their nine to five secure job with health insurance because maybe they do have an underlying condition or their spouse has an underlying condition. And so, yes, I've got the latest, greatest thing since sliced bread, but I don't want to run the risk of starting my own business because then I lose that. We got a pre-existing condition. And so it can be stifling to entrepreneurship. And I don't, I don't, I guess I wouldn't say that I don't want there to be any sort of like stable labor contracts out there, but I think it's telling 
that as soon as a technology lowered the cost of making contracts between an individual driver and an individual customer, and that's what Uber did, it lowered the cost of making contracts. Yeah. People decided instead of working at a grocery store where I'm, you know, I have to do, you know, eight to five or whatever, five days a week, they decided, nope, instead I'm going to drive my own car, make my own hours, you know, deal with my own customers. I think that's telling. And, and to me, it's exactly the opposite that the really bad jobs are going to be the ones probably that are going to continue to be, you know, wage-based, hour-based, that sort of thing. It's going to be like really nice jobs, like making your own hour jobs where you get to contract with individual customers. So I, I tend to think it's going to be exactly the opposite. Might be something like where, you know, you could hunt in the morning, fish in the afternoon, rear <laughs> cattle in the evening and criticize after dinner. That's yeah, right. something yeah. like that. So well, it, it does recognize... <laughs> the great quote um, by Karl Barks. It's, is that right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds like... We're, we're acknowledging that people are different and we don't know those preferences. And so to have more freedom, because I don't think it all disappears is my hunch. There's going to be certain industries or certain positions where, and, and certain people that are going to be risk averse. And so the gig economy might be one thing with freedom, but the employer might find having a stable person that they know that knows the business. So the more the more your job is prescriptive, like you have a, a lot of training, unlike my example of the cash register, person running the cash register, those are pretty standardized now. The more knowledge that's needed internally, the more you'd have to set up probably maybe a retirement plan, maybe whatever, long, fixed work hours, um, other things. So I think there would just, we'd find an equilibrium where there's lots of choices now, more choices with gig style work because you want the freedom and that particular person likes more freedom and flexibility in the, in the next person who doesn't. So, and also during the workday as well. All right, have we put this one to bed here? Oh, Jacob. I just wanted a little comment because I know earlier Peter said that he liked the idea of like everything being towards the gig economy. But I knew, I, in my mind, I was just thinking if say we went to like accounting, if the business didn't have their accounts because the accounts like, oh, I don't want to work today. I don't really feel like it because I want to do my own schedule. Stuff wouldn't really get done very quickly and efficiently and it'd all drag out in the long run. So I was just kind of thinking like, if that happens then everything would slow down on that side. So like you were saying, Russ, we need a, like an equilibrium of partial gig economy over here and keep the stable stuff on the other side so we can have an equal area on both sides. I think that's possible. I also think another thing that could happen is we could have a system similar to what Uber has set up with theirs, where you have ratings for accountants and accountants rate their businesses. And, you know, if an accountant on, you know, tax season for a business decides, hey, I'm not going to do the work right now, then the business is going to say, sorry, next year, I hope you good luck finding someone who's going to take you on. Yeah. And, but, but I, I do agree. I, I don't want to overstate my position. Sometimes I like hyperbole for fun, <laughs> but I think there are some jobs that are really well suited to more stable labor contracts. But I, I guess in general, I feel the tide moving away from that uh, more towards the gig economy. And I think that that's a good thing. So just to launch us into a potential another podcast, but I, I, I think this is related to it since we're bringing up health insurance as a barrier, at least the way we handle it in the United States tied to employment, universal basic income and some sort of a fixed amount that handles that. And we all go gig and we're all on our own and we don't have that tied to it. Russ, I didn't mean my Marx quote to literally send you into full <laughs> communist propaganda. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, I didn't know. We did a, we've done full podcasts on universal basic income. I, I 
find it hard to support because it wouldn't work the way I'd want it to work, which is where government would totally get out of all Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, blah, blah, blah. And, and we ultimately move towards a free market system, but the safety net would be every American gets a chunk of income, figure it out for yourself and go gig, go find an employer that suits your skills. And maybe there's different work forms. To me, moving to that direction might be something fun to chase down. I just don't think it's politically feasible at this point, but maybe sometime in the future, as these innovations continue to go, we, we do start to look at Uber, just like you guys said, and you're like, oh, maybe there's some other things that might change in the future. Well, on the healthcare front, there's direct primary care, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with. Yes. Um, yeah. That's so when you just pay a doctor a fee for a month, uh, you know, bi-monthly, and then you, uh, you, that doctor, you know, you can go to that doctor whenever you want. There aren't any uh, hospital visits fees or anything yeah. like that. Doctor here in, um, in Kansas is one of the leading guys that talks nationally about that. That's and doctor, near Wichita maybe or something. Uh, there's two in Lawrence and we actually just oh, there switched is. my family to it. Really? Uh, but we, you know, our first appointments are this month and stuff. So after a oh, couple months, yeah, uh, cool. you know, we'll come and report yeah, back. And, and we can do that a little, little podcast and on if that. if we all get sick and die. Yeah. You know, then we'll, then we'll Peter and I will discuss how... <laughs> Maybe this market failed or something. I really doubt that'll be the answer. All right. Well, that looks like a good place to wrap today. Appreciate you all listening. Uh, This has been a production of the Gorton Institute here at Ottawa University. And if you like what you hear, continue to tell your friends and maybe give us a five-star rating on on your app. Other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks. 